This is the My Weight What to Know podcast, where we talk to medical experts about the latest research on weight management and how you can apply it to reaching your best weight. We have a very special episode for you tonight about metabolism, menopause, and medical treatments for weight management with specialist Dr. Shahabina Walji. Dr. Walji, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you, Ansley, for having me today. It's a real pleasure. So one of our main topics for tonight is metabolism and the role it plays in weight management. So let's start with a quick definition. What is metabolism and how does it influence our weight? When we're talking about metabolism, there are three components that I think is important to be aware of. This is stuff that a lot of people don't know about. We have our resting metabolism. So these are the calories that our body will burn at rest just to keep us alive. We have what's called the thermogenic effect of food, which refers to the calories that are burned when we're digesting and absorbing food. And really the only way to engage this part of your metabolism is to actually eat something. If you don't eat, you're not engaging that part of your metabolism. And that can account for anywhere from 10 to 15% of your total energy expenditure. Resting metabolism, on the other hand, is anywhere from 50 to 75% of your total metabolism or your total energy expenditure. And then lastly, we have what's called the thermic effect of physical activity. So that's basically the calories that are burned from movement. When we're talking about metabolism, usually people are referring to their, their resting metabolism, but in fact, we have three components of our metabolism. And the reality is that our energy expenditure or our metabolism, our calorie intake, our fuel intake, and our body weight is actually very tightly monitored and regulated by the brain. So this is why we've heard from several specialists that you know exercise alone is actually a very inefficient tool. That is tool exactly for you are reading my mind. So that that is exactly the the message that I did, I did not want to convey is that you can control your weight with exercise. And, and so that's exactly right. This is why exercise alone, or one of the reasons why exercise alone is not a very effective weight loss strategy. It is the single most important thing that we can all do for our improved health and for longevity. Um, but it's not something that I tell people to do exclusively if they're trying to reduce their weight. All right, next question for you. There are a lot of products out there, I'm sure our audience watching them at home has seen them, that claim to boost your metabolism. Is that even possible? The reality is that there is no good evidence that there is any particular product, at least none of the commercially ones available, that can safely and effectively impact metabolism in a way that will affect weight or produce weight loss. So those, those products, we can pretty much say that's I, not an inaccurate claim. I, I, I generally tell people that's not where I would invest my time or my money. All right, next question. How does our metabolism change as we age? Yes, so this is one of those harsh realities of life. Um, metabolism does change as we age. And in fact, all three components of our metabolism change as we age. So our resting metabolism after the age of 20, so quite young, starts to go down by two to three percent per decade. Our thermic effect of food, I don't have exact numbers for you, but I've read some studies that say that the thermic effect of food, remember those are the calories that are burned through digestion and absorption of food, that component of our metabolism will go down by, I read somewhere 10 to 15 percent. And then we start to lose our lean body mass as we get older. 
most people as we get older our physical activity goes down because we have other commitments and there's only 24 hours in a day and so the calories that are burned through movement are reduced so you know all of those together results in a reduction in our total metabolism all right dr welge we've talked about age what are some of the other things that can affect metabolism there's many different things that can affect metabolism there is age, as we get older, metabolism slows down. Um, weight actually affects metabolism. So the higher a person's weight, the higher their, uh, their metabolism is, their total energies um, burned uh, is. Height affects metabolism, so taller people tend to have uh, a faster metabolism than, than shorter people. And then there's things like medications, right? So we have some medications that can either speed up or slow down metabolism. Uh, gender becomes important, and I think that probably has more to do with body composition. You know, so men tend to have more uh, muscle and bone mass, and that is more what we call kind of metabolically active tissue. It burns more calories than fat tissue. Diet can also affect metabolism, or rather I should say dieting. So when people are restricting their calorie intake, the, the brain has a way to sort of detect that this is happening and it will want to defend against that. And one of the responses to that is that metabolism will slow down. So that is actually not what most people believe. I think when most people want to lose weight, they think, okay, I'm going to go on a diet. But what I hear you saying is that's actually counterproductive because it will slow our metabolism down. That's exactly right. So. So the brain is beautifully designed to defend against, against change or threats. And if you think about it, think about what happens if you get dehydrated. There's a thirst response that stimulates you to want to drink some water. Or if your core body temperature drops, then you start to shiver to create some heat, right? So, so something similar is happening in the body when there's weight loss that is perceived by the brain as a threat to the amount of energy or the amount of calories or fuel that the body has to use. And one of the ways that the body fights against that or the brain and body fight against that is to produce an increase in energy, or sorry, a decrease in energy expenditure. So if diet and exercise alone aren't enough to help someone reach a healthier weight, what are the other tools available? Like what are the medical treatments that can help overcome that body's biological response to weight loss? So that's a really good question. Now, I think one of the really important messages here is that I cannot, I cannot stand up and say that diet and physical art activity are not important. That's, these are really important in the treatment of any chronic disease and important to maintain good health and longevity. So everybody, regardless of their size or their shape, should be try trying their best to follow the healthiest eating and activity patterns that they can. In weight management, for many, many, many people, it just simply isn't enough. And that's where we need other tools. This is where things are really exciting in the, in the weight management space, because as we understand the the brain biology specifically that's involved in monitoring and regulating eating behavior and body weight, we're coming up with newer medications that are actually targeting that biology. And we want to really compare this to other chronic diseases like type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure. The reason why many people uh, have a hard time with with trying to reduce their weight is because something is happening biologically within their body that is making it harder for them. And that's why diet and physical activity 
treatments, much like in the treatments of type 2 diabetes and hypertension, just don't seem to cut it. And with these newer medications that were that were um, that are becoming available, you know, these medications are working on that biology, making it easier for people to try to do or to do the things that they are trying to do. So I'm so glad you said that because we just heard from so many different doctors that their patients, when they get on medication, suddenly find it easier to make lifestyle change, um, which is a little bit counterintuitive because I think some people think, well, like, oh, you know, I don't want to get on medication. I should be able to do this on my own. But actually, the medication is going to make it easier to do the things you know you need to do. Absolutely, and I think that is a kind of a testament to the fact that this is not a willpower problem. You know, most of my patients anyway that have been trying to manage their weight, they have an incredible amount of willpower, an incredible amount of commitment, you know, and, and you know, strong literacy around you know, healthy behaviors. The issue isn't that they're, they're lazy or they, they don't have the willpower and they're not committed. The issue is that there is something else in their body that is just making it really hard. And that's where these medications become very, very helpful. So when in someone's journey does it make sense to talk to their doctor about medication? Like it, for someone watching at home, they're thinking, is, th is that something that's right for me? H how might someone assess that? Probably the simplest answer is whenever you're concerned about it. So if at any point a person is concerned about their weight, that would be a great time to speak to their physician, right? Um, when there are weight-related health conditions that are starting to appear, it would be really important to speak to a, to a family physician. So this could be something mechanical, like maybe some pains, if that could be weight-related, it could be something else. Not everything that happens is weight-related. Um, if there are metabolic issues, like if blood pressure is starting to go up, if sugars are starting to get impaired, it, it's, and it could be related to excess weight, those are good times to maybe just ask, ask the doctor, hey, is it okay if we talk about my weight today? Is it more difficult for women to lose weight than men? I know many women on our Facebook page report that it's easy for their husbands to lose weight and much harder for them. Do you see that with your patients? It sure seems that way. And I have female patients that tell me the same thing. You know, my husband and I are doing this together and somehow he's lost X number of pounds more than I have in the same amount of time. So anecdotally, it sure seems to be that way. I don't know if that is exactly my clinical experience. I do see some men that you know, when they start on the journey, they just seem to cruise right through it. But on the flip side, I also see other men that's, that, that struggle with it. So when we look at the literature, uh, there is some evidence to support the fact that men will lose, a, you know, a bit more weight than women. I haven't come across anything that shows profound differences. And the reasons that have been given, I think it's multifactorial. But the reasons that have been given in the literature include... Uh, body composition differences between men and women. So men have more muscle tissue and bone mass, and this is your metabolically active tissue. That tissue burns two to three times more calories than the same amount of fat tissue. Maybe that's one of the reasons. And then the other reason that was cited was that, you know, when people are starting from a higher body weight, they will lose more. And so men often, their baseline body weight at the start of a weight loss journey is higher than women. And maybe it just gives the appearance that they are losing more weight 
Um, and in absolute numbers, they are, but it's because they're starting from a higher number. So you mentioned lean body mass as something that you know men perhaps have more of and that that's more metabolically active. We know how important lean body mass is for maintaining a healthy weight, keeping that weight off. How might someone go about ensuring that they aren't losing too much lean body mass even as they're losing weight? I love how you asked that question. Um, you said, we know that lean body mass is important to maintain a healthy weight and prevent weight gain. So um, really what's important here is physical activity and specifically resistance training. That is how we preserve our lean body mass. And I mean, as we get older, we lose our lean body mass. There's nothing we can do about that. And it's so much more brutal for women <laughs> than it is for men. Um, and the only way really that we can mitigate that, can't prevent it, can't stop it, can't shut it down, but we can mitigate it through resistance training or strength training. So hit the gym and start lifting some weights if, if we want to kind of maintain that lean body mass and prevent weight gain. It, yeah, it really is important. And the recommendations are two to three times a week. It doesn't have to be for a really long period of time, maybe 10 to 20 minutes each time. But anything we can do is gonna really help and probably help with osteoporosis as well. Absolutely. So a lot of people report that emotional eating is a real struggle for them. And we know that that can be a source of weight gain. What would you suggest someone who's struggling with emotional eating do? Yeah, so emotional eating refers to when we are using food to cope with emotion. It doesn't only have to be negative emotion. Um, it could be, it could be sadness, stress, grief, anger, or it could be happy emotions. It could be celebration, it could be reward. It could be, oh, I just wanna relax at the end of a busy day when my kids are in bed. So um, I, I don't think emotional eating is a bad thing because we're kind of designed to have that sort of relationship with food. It really becomes a struggle when you know people are feeling distressed about it or if it's interfering with quality of life or if it's affecting you know mental or medical health in some way shape or form. And so there are a few things um, that we can talk about that are strategies to help with emotional eating. Probably one of the first things that I talk to my patients about anyway when emotional eating comes up is the importance of having a healthy daytime eating pattern. Most emotional eating tends to happen later in the day, so like kind of that three o'clock and on. And the, the food choices, when we're talking about emotional eating, it's not Brussels sprouts and kale, right? It's the, it's the joy foods that I call them joy foods, the stuff that you know tastes sweet or like a flavor explosion in your mouth type of thing. So we know that when people are underfueled, uh, it makes it a lot harder to make healthy decisions uh, later on. So for example, if you go to a grocery store and you go on a full stomach, it's much easier to stick to your list. But if you go on an empty stomach, so you haven't had anything to eat and you're dealing with the stress from earlier in the day, we're a bit more vulnerable to make different choices. Other foods get into our cart, often it's joy foods. When uh, people are coming to me with concerns about emotional eating, I encourage them to look at their daytime eating pattern because if they make sure that they are properly fed through the day, then it really does help to mitigate that emotional eating. They're less vulnerable to make those um, emotional or reward-based choices around food.
So other strategies that I talk about with patients include uh, just really knowing yourself. So if you know that you're someone who tends to use food to cope with strong feelings, what I would suggest is build a toolbox of other non-food related coping strategies to deal with food. So this could include calling a friend, it could include reading a book, it could be include picking up a hobby, maybe doing some physical activity and using those strategies to cope with strong emotions as opposed to using food. There's another strategy. When a person is feeling particularly vulnerable to eat, whether it's because of a craving or a strong emotion, what I encourage them to do is set a timer. Set it for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And it should be a timer that they can hear, something that's gonna buzz and just you know, bring their attention kind of back to the moment. And so it's not saying, no, don't have this food. It's just saying, wait, just hang on a second. And in that 15, 20 minutes, I encourage my patients to just busy themselves doing something else that doesn't have anything to, to do with food. And the reason for that is because cravings or emotional uh, vulnerabilities, if we can call it that, they can pass. Just like, you know, when you have a moment of stress or a moment of anxiety, and if you just kind of wait it out and breathe it through, it just sort of goes away. So, so you know, sometimes if you just wait a little bit, things will work themselves out. But sometimes when that timer goes off and you ask yourself, do I still, you know, feel this emotion? Do I still want this food? The answer is I, I do. And that's okay. Um, that's when I tell people, why don't you look at the food that you're going to consume? Look at the nutrition, just read the nutrition facts and ask yourself, okay, is it worth it? And sometimes the answer is going to be, mm, no, it's not worth it. But other times it might still be yes. And that's okay too. And if the answer to that question is, yeah, it is still worth it. Then the third question is, well, how much of this do I need to be happy? Remember I said our bodies are, were designed to have this relationship with food. And so if you ask yourself, how much of this do I need to be happy? That way you're at least portioning it out and having just what you need in that moment. And that I think takes some of the guilt out of the equation. The last and maybe most important part of this is if you made that decision to have this joy food that maybe isn't the healthiest but that's doing something for you, then savor it. So don't, don't eat it distracted. You know, sit down, enjoy it, enjoy it slowly, taste every taste, and, and make it an experience. Actually, uh, Dr. Michael Vallis was saying on a show we did about emotional eating, he was saying that often we feel guilty about eating whatever that food is and we just want to eat it as quickly as possible and get rid of it. And I love that you're suggesting we should really, you know, we're choosing to do it, really make it a positive experience. For sure, yeah. At your clinic, what are kind of the fundamental skills and strategies you work with your patients to develop to help them manage their weight over the long term? You know, I think when people are first coming to our clinic, they're expecting that we are going to be giving them a diet and an activity plan. And they're surprised when really we spend the entire duration of that first visit not doing any of that and really just getting to know, you know, the person sitting in front of us, you know, their life context. What are some of the uh, barriers that they're facing? Are there any other health conditions that we need to be addressing at the same time as we're talking about weight. And this could be metabolic issues, mental health issues, pain issues, sleep issues. In terms of fundamental skills, really, I spend a lot of time talking about 
the biology of how the brain and the and the body work to sort of regulate weight and, and eating behavior. And that it creates a nice springboard to have a conversation about the importance of maintaining a nutritionally adequate diet. And by that, I mean not a calorie restriction. I mean making sure that your body's getting the right kind of fuel that it needs to serve you well. This could include things like a regular predictable eating pattern. It could include like a conversation about balance, so balancing across macronutrients or food groups. Um, we talk about, it, it's really quite personalized, right? We talk about non-food related coping strategies for um, vulnerable situations. And we do talk about physical activity. Again, these basic principles are important for good health regardless of a person's size or shape. Dr. Balji, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being here with us Thank tonight. Thank you, Ansley, so much for having me today. We will be back with a new episode in a few weeks. Until then, please stay safe and take good care. Good night.